Welcome to the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast, where each week we simplify the complexities of your leadership journey. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for part two of Leaders Promote Emotional Intelligence. If you have not gotten a chance to listen to part one, you're going to want to make sure you do that because you don't want to miss any of the useful tools and information in that episode. But we're so glad that you're joining us today because today is a great episode. So we encourage you to download the show notes and follow along if you can. My name is Amber Jordan, and I'm here with Dr. Michael David Morales, aka Mo. How's it going today, Mo? Hey, what's going on, Amber? It's going really well. I have my brand new uh, coffee cup and it was filled with coffee and it's kind of getting lower. So we better get going. All right. <laughs> well, last week we talked about, again, leaders promote emotional intelligence. And you gave us some really helpful tools about communication and communication styles because leaders always improve communication. That was our first point of last week. And so why don't you start us off today by telling us a little bit about emotional intelligence? What is that? Yeah, well, Bradbury and Greaves talk about in their book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, they say it is your ability to recognize and understand emotions, both in yourselves and others. And it's also the ability to be aware and then manage your behavior and relationships. And so emotional intelligence is what they call the something in each of us that's just a little bit intangible. It affects kind of how we manage behavior, how we uh, navigate all the complexities of our social lives, whether it's at home or at work. And then it helps us make personal decisions that are gonna hopefully achieve positive results. And so the tough part about emotional intelligence is twofold. Remember, first you have to understand the emotions both in yourself and others. And then secondly, you have to have the wherewithal to manage your behavior and your relationship. You see, that's where people get tripped up. And I would say that a lot of people that I come into contact with end up feeling good about understanding really their own emotions and can even start to understand the emotions of others. But to manage behavior within those relationships, that's where it gets tricky. Well, in addition to improving communication, what else do leaders need to do to promote emotional intelligence? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And it's really the, the crux of what we're going to be covering today, because you can think of it in a couple of terms. First, there's the self-awareness piece. Self-awareness is the ability to understand yourself and who you really are. And of course, this can be ambiguous and there's no finish line and uh, you know, where you can kind of say, hey, I'm self-aware now. <laughs> but getting to know yourself inside and out is the journey, right? There's that word again. And it's continuous and there's layers to it, kind of like an onion. And I know that can be really cliche, but it really is. It's like peeling back layers of an, of an onion. It's a great analogy. But after the self-awareness comes the social awareness. And social awareness is what helps you stay focused and relevant and absorb all the important information that you're going to need to, to be relational. And so when you listen and you observe the, the things around you, you have to stop what you're doing, right? And what you love to do best and what I love to do best, we all love to talk and we all love to think about ourselves, right? <laughs> but you also have to stop thinking about the monologue that's in your head. And you need to think about your specific situation that you're in with whoever is in front of you and you need to listen. And you actually have to listen to hear somebody, which is what we talked about in part one. 
there, and that's that's really difficult. And to to break it down to the very base, it's this: you want to be like an anthropologist, right? And what anthropologists do is they observe others in their natural states. And what they do well, anthropologists do well, is they don't let their own feelings get in the way of that uh, that observation. And that's social awareness, really in its purest form. And so last week you gave us a homework assignment that would really help us be socially aware and and evaluate the communication styles of the people that we work with. So again, if you haven't listened to that episode, you're going to want to do that. If you haven't done your homework, you're going to want to do that too, because it just, again, helps us not only with be self-aware, but be socially aware. So Mo, that brings us to today. What is the first point that we need to cover today that's going to help us as leaders promote emotional intelligence? Yeah, the first, the first point that we're talking about today is this. Leaders always build trust. You know, one of my favorite games to play growing up was the famous trust fall, right? And imagine a bunch of sixth grade boys at camp getting in a big circle around the camp counselor and being explained the rules to this exercise. One guy's going to stand on the table and the rest of the boys are going to be waiting down below that table with a net of hands. <laughs> now, there's an adult present, so we wouldn't possibly do anything stupid now, would we? But, you know... You still don't want to be that guy standing on the table with your eyes closed, folding your arms, and then falling backwards, right? Because again, we're sixth grade boys and anything could happen and there's a chance that that net isn't going to be there, right? Now that is trust. And so life isn't any different. You know, we all have several teams. We have families at home. We have coworkers at the office. We have teammates on the extracurricular and intramural field. And every day we're put in a position to trust others. And we ask others to trust us. So my question is this, how do you fare in those situations in life? I mean, think right now about the different activities and the responsibilities that you have in your life that cause you to trust others. Because to build trust, you have to learn how to manage your relationships. You need to learn how to trust others. And you really have to to make that level of trust go up with your, your coworkers because it's going to give you a better connection point with each of them and as a team. And so relationships are like cultivating a garden. I remember watching uh, my my favorite uh, TV show where there's a chef and he decided, I'm going to grow all my own vegetables and spices for his dishes, which is really cool. And he talks about how painstakingly the process is to keep everything growing and getting better. And if he takes too much time off or he goes out of town or whatever, the garden totally suffers, right? And so I I think for our listeners today that they, they probably feel my pain on that because cultivating those things in life are really important. And those relationships, cultivating those, is something we really have to put a lot of time into. And so when you build relationships, you need to know it takes time. And a great exercise for our listeners today would be to do the following. Think about the relationships in your life that cause you to trust. What are you missing in those relationships? What do you need to do to take the relationship to the next level? Because there's probably somebody at your office that throws you off a little bit, and even maybe somebody you don't necessarily get along with. And so one of my favorite quotes by Abraham Lincoln, um, of course, Abraham Lincoln, right? I I always quote that guy, so cool, is one that he gave in response to somebody telling him about a certain lady that really disliked him. And when informed how much um, disdain that that she had for him, Abraham Lincoln responded uh, with the following. He said, just think what kind of ally she's gonna be for me when we become friends. And man, that guy is a relational genius because like Lincoln, you need to use your social awareness skills. 
And so another thing that you can do is actually ask people, how can I, you know, how can I gain more of your trust? And when you ask, actually listen to hear their answer. And when you ask somebody for their opinion on how you can get better, two things are going to happen. First, this is going to show that that other person that you care about your relationship with them. And secondly, it's going to put the trust meter on the radar for both of you, which is inevitably inevitably going to make both of you in a better position to deepen that relationship. Yeah, I, I remember the first time that I asked my kind of a, a core group of my team to evaluate how I did in a meeting. And I asked them, you know, how, what was my tone of voice like? And what was my body language? And did I communicate the information clearly? And I remember the look on their faces. Like I knew they had stuff to say. I knew they had feedback to give me but nobody wanted to say anything but praise until finally one brave soul gave something that could slightly be criticism, but not really. And everyone just watched that person. And then they watched me to see my reaction. But eventually what happened was when they realized that those questions were sincere, I really did want the feedback. I started really getting the feedback, but then it got to the point where they started giving me feedback in advance. They would give me advice of, hey, this is a really big topic we're gonna be talking about. This is a really big change. Here's how you might wanna approach it. And it really made me a a better leader. And so I just think that that's so important that it doesn't, you know, you said likely deepen the relationship. It will, but not immediately, not the first time you ask for feedback. But if you continue to model that, then it will actually end up deepening the relationship and building that trust, which I think really brings us to our our third and final point. Yeah. Our third point today is this. Leaders always have the tough conversations. And let me start out by saying that Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think we've heard that one before, right? (laughs) Says that you should avoid arguments at all costs. And I think you need to rewind that part and listen to it a thousand times. You want to avoid arguments at all costs. Some people love to argue, right? But there, there's no, and I know you're, you're laughing <laughs> I really because you love to argue. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But Amber, as I've told you a thousand times and I'm going to tell our listeners today, there are no winners in an argument, only losers. <laughs> and you're like, no, but Mo, I can really win this one. No, because if you lose an argument, you lose. But if you win an argument, you still lose, right? And the reason for that is because all you did with somebody else is make them feel dumb or inferior. And, and that doesn't, doesn't help your relationship. So although you feel like you got your point across, what you actually accomplish is for somebody not wanting to be on your side in the future. And of course, you know, that makes all of us feel uncomfortable. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, but what you need to do is just stay away from those arguments. Because with that being said, what leaders do, uh, do, even though they don't have arguments, is they do have the tough conversations. And there is a difference. Don't use what Dale Carnegie said to shirk your responsibility to deal with the issues. You've got to deal with the issues. And the other side of arguing would be totally disregarding any conversations that need to be had, right? But that's the art of leadership. (laughs) If you get out of the tough conversations and, and run away from them, you know, they're going to eventually catch up with you. And I know some leaders that have no conversations. And man, that is just as bad as arguing. 
because you're not going to accomplish anything. They just expect people to do what's right because it's the right thing to do. And yeah, I mean, we all do. That's how we would like to have it if it, if that were a possibility, but that's not how life works. That's, that's why we need to be leaders. That's why if every, if everybody, <clears throat> if everybody in, in your company that was hired to do their job actually did their job, then there would be no need for management or leadership. People would be hired to do a job and then they do it. But again, that's not how life works. That's why, as one of my mentors once told me, there's always going to be a need for leadership and good leaders are never going to be out of business. And, you know, it's, it's so frustrating when you're in a position where you're watching maybe one of your own leaders not have a conversation that everyone around you knows needs to be had. And I think what, what frustrates me is when it actually ends up resolving itself, even though there wasn't a conversation, maybe, you know, that one coworker you have that never gets any work done uh, and you're waiting for somebody to address it, then they give their two weeks notice. And it's like, oh, phew, we didn't have to actually address that. That can be really frustrating. And even though it works out, it erodes confidence in the leader because they didn't address it when they could have. And that that can be really dangerous and detrimental to the success of the team. And so learning how to have those tough conversations is really crucial. So Mo, how do we have those tough conversations? Yeah, so tough conversations are really going to happen in, in two capacities. One, it's going to be either the official capacity, which could be like a boardroom or a weekly team meeting, but then there's going to be the unofficial capacity as well, as well right? around the coffee machine, standing around the parking lot in the company, the golf course, the tennis court. I mean, you, you get it, right? And so my question for our leaders today is, are you calm and effective in the way that you handle tough conversations? And last week we mentioned in a book called The One Minute Manager that you wanna find people doing something right. You wanna catch them in the act, doing something good, right? And in that book, there's also another principle called The One Minute Reprimand. And this is where a person who's uh, bringing connection to somebody else in a situation uh, and needs to, to correct that person, right? You first affirm that person and let, let, let them know they're doing a good job because they probably are. That's why they're on your team, right? Uh, and then you let them know the changes that need to be made and then assure them that you still have trust for them and that they're a valuable member of the team. All three of those parts are really important. And so I've used this method for years now. And in talking about the art and the science of leadership, what, what I just said right above there is, is that the one minute reprimand is both the art and the science, meaning there's practical ways to get your, your point across. Uh, and you know, you do need to call for change, but also you need to artfully address the relational part. And that's really important to remember. What do you mean by artfully? Yeah. Artfully meaning don't be patronizing. Don't be condescending with people. They, they know when you're just saying something, you know, to say words or, or to get them to do something, you have to really believe what you say. And so, um, like Spencer and Johnson say in the one minute manager, if you affirm somebody for doing a good job, but you know, that's the first time that they've ever heard that they were doing a good job. Why would they believe you? And that's why tough conversations come in the context of what should have already been conversations in the past. You can't just all of a sudden decide to have a conversation when something goes wrong. You should already be having conversations and catching your people doing things that are good 
That way, when you let them know, hey, you're doing this well, and I need you to change this a little bit, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I mean, you know, I'm used to having these conversations, and they're going to want to make those changes. So if you're frustrated because you're listening to this and you just think that, you know, you don't want to have those conversations because they never get you anywhere and people just don't understand you and all, all you're doing is, is uh, you know, really thinking like, I just need to give somebody a, a, a thump on the head, you know, and uh, this is the school of hard knocks. No, it, it just means that, that your people are only going to respect you if you come at them the way that you would want somebody to come, come at you. You know, you don't want to, 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 to tell them exactly what to do, but you want to help correct them. And it's important to do that because otherwise you're just going to keep banging your head against a wall. And the first chance that your people have, they're going to leave your team or they're going to leave the company. And again, it's not going to be their fault. <laughs> it's going to be yours, right? <laughs> and and, <laughs> and is. that is how Mo has signed every birthday or Christmas card I have gotten from him. <laughs> <laughs> You can't give that away. Come on, that, that's that's insider information right there. <laughs> but I mean, my my last sub point on this though with tough conversations, Amber, would be this: tough conversations usually happen on multiple occasions for one topic. I mean, if you think about it, if somebody's doing something for you and you need to correct them to do something different for the sake of the team of the company, then you're gonna have to have at least two conversations, right? The first conversation, you're helping them to understand the changes that need to be made. But there's got to be a second conversation at least to let them know, hey, thanks for making that change or to let them know, well, thank you for, for making those changes, but we still need to, to make a few more. And that's going to help their performance. And they need to know that what they're doing and the changes they've made, that the effort that they're putting in is being seen. So those follow-up conversations are really important. So if you start to have these tough conversations, people are going to expect them from you. And I love it. Just like you said, Amber, you, you, you didn't have to have the, the tough conversations after a while because people were bringing things to you first and they were actually starting. The, they didn't even know it, but they were starting those tough conversations. That's because we really worked on getting those conversations to be all the time. And it really just became an ongoing conversation, didn't it? Because people actually started in that case, understanding that you had their best interests in mind and leaders out there. That's the key. You have to have the interest of your people first and foremost, all the time. You're always on, you're always thinking about your people. If they know you're trying to help correct their mistakes or their errors for the sake of the team and also to, to make them better and, and raise their abilities, they're gonna want that kind of feedback. I know that I do. I appreciate it when somebody tells me in honesty what I can do different. In fact, um, most people uh, know me as somebody who asks for clarity all the time. I love that word clarity. I, I, I had a conversation recently, just the other day, um, with somebody that I coach. And toward the end of that conversation, I asked the same question that I always do of all people that I do life coaching with, which is, is there anything that I can do better or bring more clarity to? And then I give them an opportunity to let me know, well, Mo, you said this and it, this didn't kind of really make sense or can you clarify that? Or, or um, I, I really need a little bit more for this. And I love that because it lets me know, okay, I probably did miss that because I, I talk a, a million miles a second. And it lets me go back and address the things that need to be addressed because when people know that you mean it, they're gonna wanna get better and they're gonna invite that kind of conversation and they're really going to appreciate it. 
Well, we're just about out of time, but to recap for part one and part two, we talked about the fact that leaders always improve communication, leaders always build trust, and leaders always have the tough conversations. And those are three areas that aren't easy necessarily to work on, but man, just a little bit of effort can make a huge difference. So Mo, before we wrap up today, what are your final thoughts for us? Yeah, I've had a, a lot of fun in these past couple of weeks talking about um, this thing called emotional intelligence because leaders, this is something that you have to get down. You have to be good at it. You have to be emotionally intelligent. So if you don't have that book, you need to get it today. And there's there's a link um, in our show notes and we'd love for you to click on the link because it helps us, right? But you have to get that book. You need to start treating people like individuals while at the same time not losing the team aspect of everything. Everybody understands communication differently. You know, in the beginning, I mentioned personality and communication styles last week. And of course, we don't want to box people in. And I would imagine that listening to people on your team, you know, you probably need to do some reevaluating to see if you've been treating each relationship properly and giving it each of those relationships the kind of attention that they need. But the main thing is this, always be promoting a healthy bottom line, both in production and relationships. And remember the most important thing, the most important asset that you have are the people on your team, because those are the, those are the things, those relationships with each of those people that are gonna set you up to be an effective leader. Yeah, that's really great. Thank you, Mo. That is helpful and um, encouraging, but also a little kind of gives us the push that we need, I think, to take the next steps. So <laughs> thank you, everybody, for joining us again for another episode of the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast. Highlights and resource links are available for you in the show notes. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue on the leadership journey. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out and share with others so they don't miss out. See you next week.